if you're like me, meaning if you're human, you have legs and you breathe air, not that you're like me, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody, but if you're like me, you've been wronged before. And if you don't think so, hold on. I'm sure you will be. Someone has cut you off in traffic. Someone has stolen your parking space. Someone has overcharged you. Someone has called you out of your name. Someone has belittled you. Someone has pushed you to your limits. Someone, someone has wronged you. Fair? Yeah. Last week, if you recall, I suggested that we as the church are the most interesting people in the world. When we consider this call of life that we are to have, this whole loving your enemies and whatnot business. And since we talked about people out there last week, we don't need to talk about people out there this week. We did that once, and let's get, get through with that, okay? And I want us to give our attention somewhere else today. In fact, I want you to put your attention towards a building, even a building like the one we're sitting in right now. In fact, put your attention on this building, this place we call church. Y'all with me? Some of us, if you're like me, have the most dearest friends of our life in church. Some of the people that are so that we love the most are the people that sing worship songs next to, next to us, that, that praise God and pray with us every week. Or some of these people are the people that we've spent the most interesting and most meaningful times of our lives with. And these people come from church. Maybe it's not this church. Maybe it's another church you grew up in or some other church you spent a long part of your life in. But so many of us have found people important people in our life within the body and the family of God. We talk about the family of God, don't we? We talk about that quite often. This church in its mission statement starts off by saying that we are a church family, prayerfully committed to the whole, prayerfully, prayerfully united. Say it with me now. See, I knew that. I was just making sure you did. Church family, right? So what do you do then when it's not someone out there, but it's someone in here that wrongs you? Now, to be fair, I don't think Jesus sets up this scenario where it's your, your dearest friend of all life that has wronged you. It just starts off by saying, if another church member, and I don't know that Jesus really said that word, but if another brother or sister of, of the body sins against you, this is what you are to do. You see, the guy in traffic that you're yelling at and that he's waving at you, pretty soon he's going to go on about his business and you'll probably never see him again in your life. The person at the grocery store that's crossed the line, whatever that means, You'll have your little altercation, but then you'll never see them again. But these church people? It's not supposed to be so easy to get rid of them. You can laugh. That was kind of funny, right? Because 
Because there are some... No, never mind. I'm... But what this passage tells us is that if someone inside the family wrongs us, what are we to do then? Now, I've been around a few churches myself, a few churches full of people, and I'm going to tell you from my experience of three ways that I have seen people respond to these types of situations, right, when people disagree or when they butt heads or something happens between the family. And one of the first things they do is they try to throw it under the rug. Well, we don't want to rock the boat. Well, just leave it alone. It, it, it was one time. And we want to go on like nothing has changed. Or we want to go on like nothing ever happened. In the long run, that's not always the most productive thing to do. And so another way that people have responded, in my experience, with these kind of situations, is that they become bitter. They become resentful. They become prideful almost. They become hurtful themselves. And you may not be a part of this situation, but when you get into the press, you can like almost feel it, right? You can sense something's wrong, right? And of course, the, the, the third way that typically many people handle these kind of situations is just by severing relationships altogether. Throwing our hands up saying, well, I'm done. Now, no matter which one of those options most people choose, what we realize is that something in that relationship, and I'm even going to suggest that something in the church is lost. Something is lost. Now, I am always leery of people who constantly tell me or want to tell other people that the Christian walk, the Christian life is easy. All you have to do is what they say, right? And usually there, all you have to do means being at a certain place on a certain day at a certain time. Or maybe reading from a certain book certain days of the week. Or maybe even praying to the big guy upstairs. And, well, I guess if you really like what's going on, maybe you can talk about giving. That's a way to be a Christian. Now, if that were all being a Christian were about, that would be kind of easy. I mean, let's be real. I know it may take a little getting used to, but waking yourself up in the morning to be here by 1045 is really kind of easy. People do it every day for things they call jobs. It's easy to do. And reading or listening or hearing pages from the Bible by itself is pretty easy to do. Praying at its most basic level, we say, is just... Talking to God. And friends, I don't know if you know this, but some of us are very good at talking. So praying by itself is easy. Even giving. Many of us, we give and we give and give. Now, for some of us, we give and we give to ourselves, but giving itself is easy. And so if those are the only things that you have to do to become a Christian or to be a Christian, to live out the Christian life, then yeah, that's easy. But this Jesus stuff, it's not so easy. See, for example, Jesus says, if a brother has wronged you, this is what you go do. First, you confront them. You go tell them what they've done, right? Pretty straightforward. And I've known many people who've, who've taken their disagreements with church brothers and, 
they've taken this first step. And typically, it's the only step they take. Sometimes it's because it works. Sometimes because that's all we're going to do. And partly, I think most people stop there because it's hard. It's hard to muster up enough courage to think of the right words to go confront somebody who's wronged you. What are you supposed to say? And, and even the people, and even the people that I've known that have done this, who have confronted, I think they've done it for the wrong reasons. Not for the reasons Jesus put forward, because usually we have this idea that we just want to get things off our chest, right? Want to clear the air, want to let that person know what's on our mind. But if you see what Jesus is saying, that's not important to Jesus. He tells you to go to that person. And if he listens to you, you have regained him or won him over. You see, what's important to Jesus is not clearing the air, not getting it off your chest. It's regaining what was lost. That's what is important to Jesus. Y'all with me? And so if it's hard just to confront somebody by yourself, and you, you, you know you might be anticipating some rejection How difficult is that? And they do reject you. And now you're supposed to go get two or three more people to come with you, you little whiny baby. So you got to get somebody else to come with you and to go back and to confront that person again and face possible rejection. And then to have them reject you, now you have to go get the entire church involved, you gossip. Do you see how difficult this sounds? This is hard. But for Jesus, the most important thing is bringing back what was lost. Now, many people rely on these words that Jesus give us, and they're very powerful and meaning words. You know, this whole business where two or three are gathered, right? And, and usually, we'll just make the confession, usually it's a preacher or some leader who's you know, designed some service or some activity, and they're expecting, you know, 1,500 people and four show up. And really it's a way to to sort of console themselves, right? Well, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is here. Or, you know, where if you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth. And so maybe you've had people tell you, well, I just want to know so I can agree in prayer with you. And friends, I don't want to take that away from anybody. I think those are very true things, that God is with us if there's one or two people or a million people, that there is power in praying together. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he says that here. Because he is telling us, showing us how to deal with the people in here who have wronged us. And he says, where two or three are gathered then, for that purpose, I am there with you. When you have to make those tough decisions about what to say to that person, I am with you. When you as a church have to decide how you will handle someone who has gone against the church, I am there with you. When you have to decide how to treat someone where two or three are gathered then, I am with you. Now, when you look at it with that, with, with that light and those lens, that lens, you realize the church has kind of been given a lot of authority. That the church can make these decisions and, and understand that God is with them. 
And I'll be quite frank with you that over the course of the history of the church, the church has abused that. They've used it as a way to push people out, push people aside. People who look different, who speak different, who sound different, who are different, who think different. We've used that to say you don't belong here. And I'll suggest that when we do that, God is not there. That's not God's work. But there is this idea that us as a family, as a body of believers, the people of God, there is something about our presence together and our work together when we can affirm what God is doing for each other. And in those moments when that unity is broken, when we can stand together, God is there just the same. But when we think about our relationships, there's people inside the church, sometimes we can feel like all's lost. Throw our hands. Now, we haven't done what Jesus said to do, but we feel like we've done all we can. We've talked, we've pleaded, we've prayed, maybe, maybe even we've fasted, maybe even, who knows? We feel like we've done everything we can, but all we feel like we can do now is throw our hands up and let it be done. All is lost. And it almost seems like Jesus would affirm that. You know, he says that uh, um, if they don't listen to you, do this. And if they don't listen to you, then do this. And if they don't listen to them, then do this. And finally, if they don't listen to the entire church, you are to, they should be to you as Gentiles and tax collectors. Now, you know about those Gentiles and tax collectors, right? Oh, those evil people, right? And there's always this, this friction that we, we need to be able to feel as we read through the gospel stories of these, these Gentiles, their seemingly uh, uh, vile relationship that they have with the church, with God. And these tax collectors, people who are cheats and liars and so on and so forth. And Jesus says, if he doesn't listen to you, then treat them, treat him like one of them. And at first glance, you're kind of like, okay, good, whew, I can do that. They've wronged me. I can treat them like a tax collector. I can treat them like one of those funky Gentiles. But then we remember something. This is Jesus speaking. Am I right? This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. And then you remember... How did Jesus treat those people? Shucks. He was always in trouble with the religious people. They called him a friend of sinners, and guess what? A friend of tax collectors. He was willing to be with those people. He was willing to eat with those people, to share life with those people, to forgive those people, and he tells you to treat that one who won't listen to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And that seems kind of odd to us. But Eugene Peterson, in his work, The Message, the Bible, The Message, the translation, I think he gives it us in a way that I think makes a lot much more sense. We don't think about people as Gentiles. And, well, if somebody's not a tax collector, why would we call him a tax collector, right? But listen to the way he, Eugene Peterson, paraphrases this verse. If he won't, it's always the he who won't listen, right? (laughs) 
If he won't listen to the church, stay with me. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. You'll have to start over. Jesus says those people who wronged you, sometimes you have to start over. You've tried, they didn't listen. You and your friends tried, they didn't listen. You and the church tried, and they didn't listen. But now you know what it's time to do? Start over. It's just that simple, <laughs> and it's just that difficult. But we've got to remember that the most important thing for Jesus is to regain what was lost. Would you repeat that with me? The most important thing for Jesus is to regain what was lost. And we know that about Jesus, don't we? Think about communion. Think about that this might be God's way of starting over with us every time we receive it. I mean, let's be real. We don't always listen to God, do we? We don't always follow through with God. And yet God is saying, I am willing to start over. Friends, it's my prayer that for each of us, as we consider the way in which God deals with us, the love that God has for us, the willingness God has to start over with us, that we in turn come that way with each other. Would you pray with me? Oh, loving God, we are grateful to you because we know that in your presence we can always start over. You wash away everything that is old and everything that is dirty. Everything about us that doesn't please you, we know that we can start over when we come to you. And God, we have to pray for the wisdom, for the faith, and for the strength enough to be able to live that way with each other as well. We cannot do it alone. But we can do it, God, when we learn to live like you. So help each one of us this day to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put on the armor of light that leads us to the way of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.